Welcome back, everyone, to uh, another episode of The Numbers Don't Lie. Um, I've been on hiatus, but not quite. I've had some personal issues that I've had to deal with in the last week or so. So in kindness, um, our resident analyst, Paul Berkowitz, has been taken over for me, but I'm back in action. Um, so welcome, everyone. Today we're joined by uh, Pearl Pillay, uh, the managing director of Youth Lab, um, which is a youth policy think tank, and it aims to create spaces for youth uh, in South Africa to engage on policy issues which affect them. Um, so yeah, that said, I mean, obviously, in this episode, we're talking about the youth vote and uh, and where it was really in the in these last uh, these last national elections. I mean, if you look at the youth defined as ages between 18 and 30, um, more than half were missing from the of the electoral electoral roll, um, as far as I'm aware. Um, so, if we could kick off, Paul, I don't know if you want to just throw some numbers into that, and oh, then no, I'm here for and, and then I want to ask Pearl um, in that absence of. Uh, uh, of those uh, those youth votes, do we care, and sh- in what way should we care? Like, how should we get more involved, Paul? Thank you, Scott. Okay, numbers. We don't, as you said, we don't have a breakdown of the 2019 elections yet of turnout by age group, but we do have registration by age group, and we've got registration and turnout for 2014. The IC's got the information. They're probably processing it now, but with your ID number, they've obviously got your age and the turnout, which they'll give to us at the provincial level. You're right, we are a young country. The median age is 26. And the 20-something South Africans, they're the biggest age cohort. They're bigger than the 30 to 39-year-olds, the 40 to 49-year-olds. But And you're quite right with the numbers. They only register about 50% of them are registered. And that sounds scary, but it's not really scary because the registration... Um, statistic is something that increases over time. You only need to register once to be on the voters roll. You can change your address details or move provinces, but when you're on, you're on until you die. And then even so, sometimes a little bit after until Home Affairs and the IEC have a chat and they, and, and you know, they clean the dirt out of the filter. So even in the last elections, only about 50% of 20-somethings were registered, but that rises to about 30, to about 75 Eighty percent in for thirty somethings, and then the top side is about ninety percent for forty and fifty somethings and over. But turnout overall dropped pretty heavily. We suspect that um, the youth turnout was disproportionately lower than the older age groups, and that's also in line. That would be in line with what we saw in twenty fourteen. That. Um, I think the best group in terms of voter turnout by age is the 50 and 60-somethings. And there's a whole bunch of factors. But uh, I guess that's enough from me about the numbers. I'd be interested to hear what Pearl has to say. You're at the coalface, so you yep. you probably know... Hey, guys. <laughs> you probably know about apathy and the, mm-hmm. the reasons for the youth to vote or not vote. Yeah, I mean, an additional number is the first-time voters was only 18% that registered. That's a scary statistic, right? That's first. Um, so, the, yeah, at the last IEC report, it was 18% huh. of your 18- to 19-year-old cohort that actually registered. That registered. That's um, still in line historically, more or less. But the, the thing around this election particularly, right, post-Zuma and all of that, was that these elections were, were touted as 
the most important election since 94. And the idea of the youth vote, the idea of youth numbers and youth power in these elections were driven far more than it was in other elections. And so I think the statistics around young people, even though it makes sense, um, I still think it's alarming just because of what these elections were supposed to mean for people. Um, so what it means that young people didn't turn up, um, something that we did at Youth Lab was a project called the SA Youth Manifesto. Um, and that was us going into all nine provinces and speaking to young people about voting, about voter education, about political parties, but also about what is the kind of country that they want to see. And overall, the sense that we got was that young people, first of all, have an incredibly low voter education. And it's not just young people. Generally, our voter education in South Africa is extremely low. Um, there were issues around our electoral system. So people didn't know it. And once we explained to them what system we used, people were like, but wait, this doesn't make any sense. And so there was already the sense of this entire system that we're supposed to be in doesn't even make sense to us. What do you, what do you mean by that? What is, so the biggest thing that came out was the idea of representative democracy rather than direct representation, right? So rather than proportional representation, I mean. Um, and people raised issues around accountability, but also what is the point of voting if political parties are going to choose who gets the seat anyway, right? Um, the idea that unless you're in the party, you don't get a say on who's on the list, right? And so you're actually, when you mention to people that you've actually never voted for a president in your life, it kind of is very jarring because you realize actually this so-called citizen power isn't real power. The real power still sits in the hands of political parties who don't do the work of getting, you know, adequate public representatives. They don't do the work of voter education. They don't do the work of accountability. And so why should we, all we're doing is just giving them the power to choose. And so the idea that we're transferring our power by using representational democracy um, didn't sit well with young people. Most of the young people that were part of our project said that they would much prefer a direct system of elections where you have a person that you vote for who's directly responsible for particular constituencies so that you know who to hold accountable. And people like Zuma, people like Ramaphosa with Marikana were used as examples to say the party protects these people anyway. So how do you even talk about accountability when when it's convenient a party will say, oh no, that's a state issue. And then on, on other times they'll say, no, no, that's a party issue. Either way, you're locked out. And so it was those kinds of issues. But also the, the there were big questions around the role of political parties. And that was a really fascinating discussion that we had because people were asking, well, what do political parties actually do besides contest election? Um, and we know that there is a big chunk of um, public funds that are given to political parties to run their campaigns and all of that. And so people said, if they're not serving a public good, if all they're doing is just contesting elections, First of all, why are we giving them taxpayer money? But secondly, why do we place such great importance on them? Um, and should they not have a broader mandate than just contesting elections? Because it's the idea that all these people care about is votes. And so it was that kind of sense of actually the system is a lot more warped than we thought it was. And now that we know what's going on, we actually don't want to be a part of it. And it showed. 
But I mean, like uh, the youth vote or the lack thereof, it's it's not just a South African problem. It's it's it's, it's, it's kind of a, a global problem. And you find that, you know, as people get older, they get a little more interested into in the in the policies, the country they live in, how it's actually run, what sort of ideologies kind of are at play in their own lives, and by default, they start getting a little more involved in the electoral process. Yeah. Um, so with this low vote, I mean. When I, when I asked earlier, should we care? I mean, yes, we should care in the broader aspect of it, but in the sense of, like, is it just a matter of, like, educating them as much as possible so when they do, they start caring on their personal level, then, then they then they start getting involved and they can have a little more, yeah. a little more uh, influence in the in the electorate. I mean, I don't know. What's, uh, I'm not sure what the solution is outside yeah. of, like, hard work education. I mean, how, how do I you mean, I think I don't think education is necessarily the answer either, right? So I mean, what you're saying, Pearl, and this is just a joke, and then I'll shut up. <laughs> is the more education you gave to the young voters, the less in the worse they it became. Yeah, when exactly. they, the more they learnt about the system, the more disillusioned and apathetic they yeah. became. I mean, a, a personal example: I read all forty-eight party manifestos, and I didn't vote. I was one of probably the most informed citizen in the country, and I did not vote because of how informed I was. And so, the idea that education might help might actually do the opposite. But I think you're right that there's a global crisis of democracy, right? And there's almost a rejection against white supremacist, capitalist forms of democracy, which is what we're all finding ourselves in. And globally, young people are rising up and rejecting these ideas. Why we should care here is because I think South Africans, first, firstly, as much as, you know, we might debate this, but I think South Africans are probably some of the most politically engaged citizens in the world. Um, things like our culture of protest shows that people are very interested in what happens. And so this idea that there are a group of political elite that run things and people's quality of life is not improving, with combined with a, a youth that is not... I don't want to say held back, but it's not as sentimental about things like the liberation struggle as older people might be, means that these are the people that are probably going to take you to task a lot more. And so the idea of things like protest and the role that things like protest will play going forward is why we should care, because you've got... We have the most amount of unemployed young people in the world in this country, right? There are war zones that have better employment rates than we do. And you're saying to those people, hey, please vote, right? And when you combine those things of kind of a political political neglect and then economic neglect, you are creating a complete recipe for disaster. So we absolutely, absolutely should care because things will burn down and then people are going to wonder why. I want to ask, because you mentioned a couple of reasons why the youth might not vote. And you started out by looking at the electoral system and the democratic system, we have PL versus constituency-based direct yeah. representation. So I realize it's many things. It is um, that the youth don't feel engaged, that the economic and political policies don't serve them, and that the economic and political elite don't want to engage with them or listen to them. There are a couple of methods, and these are not new ideas. We could have direct democracy, we could have directly elected MPs and MPLs, or we could have a mix, as per the Fanzale Slabbit report. We could have, uh, we could keep the PR system, but we could try to bring it closer to the people by uh, doing things that Scandinavian countries do, which is um, open party lists. So it's not just you have to be on the branch and yeah. you have to be involved, and then 
you submit a list and then the list gets aggregated nationally and provincially, but you actually have a say. And we could have things like recall mechanisms. But the, some of these systems exist in countries like the US and the UK. I mean, those are two great examples of proportional, of, of constituency-based electoral systems. And I wouldn't say that, I don't know, let me ask the question, let me not answer, let me ask it to you and, and you can answer. Would that make the youth more engaged in, in no. your mind? No. No, so. I mean, we're seeing it in the US right now, right? That young people are, their level of engagement is in response to you know who, rather than a genuine desire to be engaged. Um, I think that there's a question around democracy as a whole and whether or not it's still something, particularly in our context, that is something that works for us, right? The idea of one one person, one vote, but it's not really one person, one vote when you think about how many votes there are, when you think about how power is concentrated. It's, a, it's murky waters. And so the solution might not be as simple as let's just change the system because there are places where the system is different and it still doesn't work. Um, I think there needs to be more involvement, there needs to be more inclusion, there needs to be more representation. Um, the idea that, so one of the questions we asked during our project was which, if you would vote for a president who's under the age of 35, and the majority of the people that were part of our project said yes. And so this idea that the majority of your country is young, but the majority of your cabinet is old. That that is never going to work regardless of what system you use. And so we have to think more about things like inclusivity. How do you bring everyone to the party? How do you actively engage people in ways that are meaningful? How do how do people's people's engagement and people's participation matter? And if you can figure out how to do that, then I don't think it matters actually what system you have. If people feel like they're included and represented, they'll support it anyway. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like my view in terms of democracy and how the the elected party should work. I mean, from my perspective, I'm I actually not allowed to vote here, so I care, but in the sense uh, yeah, well, no, <laughs> not sorry. Well, not really. Um, <laughs> It actually doesn't matter to me the the, ide- the ideological play field in terms of like who does what, who thinks what, who wants to implement what. From my view, if you're a party in power, if you're the, in the administrative power, you you've, you've got the same job to do. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you come from, what your views are. Absolutely, you, you, service delivery is what matters. That's why I said earlier, I don't think it was recorded when I said, well, municipal elections actually matter a little bit more because they're more applicable, and yet there's more accountability there. I mean, there's different spheres of government responsible for different things, but like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the only thing people really care about it is like is there a job are they going to have food on the table are they safe like do they see some sort of like progression in their life can they do they feel they can achieve their dreams i mean if currently south africa is in a very dire state in that regard Absolutely. And, and that's exactly why you're saying well, okay this this current system uh that we've current that we've got like a market-based capitalist-based system clearly isn't providing for everyone in that in that regard and it's the only thing they have left the vote isn't changing anything so the only thing they have left is the protest exactly um which in its in its in its own way isn't it isn't proving to be that effective anyway um so what's the answer how do you get hmm. youth involved uh, in like a, in a way that's gonna perhaps the i don't want to say a political leap but in a way that they're gonna listen like what's the What's the, you know, when you're in a capitalist society, your power lies with how much capital you've got, yeah? So the youth, if they're unemployed, they don't have any capital, they don't really have any real power. Yep, they, whether you have system. a vote or not, it doesn't so matter. So, and what's the change here? What's the, what's the viewpoint? But, I mean, so, I mean, you're already onto it, right? The fact that 
SA is the most unequal country in the world tells you that no matter how great your electoral system is, it's not going to matter. And if you're unable to effectively address inequality, you can talk about participation until you're blue in the face. But I, for one, am not. I can't, in good faith, go into a community where people get water once a week and say, "You guys should really participate in democratic processes. It's going to be really great." Because it's not. Um, and in all of the conversations we've had in the run-up to elections, that's been the sense we've gotten from young people. That so we brought up stuff like the the. Commission of Inquiry into State Capture and we, you know, because we, we asked questions around corruption and people said so one of the comments we got was when was South Africa ever not captured, right? And whether or not that Commission of Inquiry re- yields any results won't change the fact that I don't have water. And it's it's that kind of everyday struggle, the fact that basic service delivery is not happening, means that whether you're directly electing your president or not, it's not going to matter because people still won't have water. And I don't think we have a leadership that's concerned about actually bettering people's lives. Um, we're concerned about competing globally and the fourth industrial revolution, but not about the fact that there are so many people in this country that can't read. Yeah, I mean, we uh, a month or so back, we did a we did a podcast on the Alexander protest. Yep. And that's a perfect example of what you've just been discussing in terms of people are out there saying, look, we've got these base level problems. And the only thing that was going on with the ANC blaming the DA, the DA mm-hmm. blaming the ANC, EFF got involved in some way. But there's like so many different... The but there's also different spheres of government that there was provincial governments blaming the local and at the end of the day there's still a housing crisis (laughs) there's still a problem there so you know I mean these are the kind of the problems that youth are going to be with majority of the youth in this country are going to be with for another decade at least you know there's no solution really coming at it Um, so I mean from your side from, from youth lab I mean What's you uh, explain to us a little bit more in terms of your role and in, in, in sort of helping that problem, or yeah. at least you know um, making some sort of traction into a better South Africa? So I think for us, obviously, because politics is important. You know, you're not interested in politics, but it's still interested in you. We would still try and you know do as much voter education as we can, talk about politics as much as we can, and then leave the decision up to young people. But the other side of what we do, which is for me the more important side, is about building capabilities and it's about building people's capacity to live the lives that they want. And so for us, it's about meeting young people where they are and finding out what are the things that drive you? What are you passionate about? What are your aspirations? Um, and how can we support that? What kind of capacity do you need in order to do the things you want to do for your life, for your family, for your community? Um, and you're not finding that in political parties. You're not finding that in government interventions and so what we're trying to do is actually kind of work outside the state if you need to but it's about supporting young people where they are so a quick example we've been running a project um, called I create which is a small business incubator and it's amazing because when you hear what our leaders say about entrepreneurship it's always this idea that oh entrepreneurs you know they need big capital they need big access to market and lots of the entrepreneurs we met actually just maybe need land or we need low data costs we need like exactly Exactly. Subsidized transport, you know, people's needs are actually quite basic. Mm. But if you've never taken time to speak to them, you're going to assume that everyone wants a small cash injection of five million rand. Right. And so that's the problem is South African leaders don't live in this country. The fact that the president is shocked at our lives every time. Oh, my God. Load shedding. Shocking. (laughs) 
Crime, shocking. Poverty, shocking. Everything surprises him. He lives life in a permanent state of shock. They kept him in a little box he while he was. Well, they kept him in a little box while he was vice president. He, so he didn't have a newspaper. No, nothing. That's really sad. Well, look, I mean, if you want, if you want to give South Africa a big fat cash injection, subsidize data costs. Absolutely. Everyone solves their pro- starts solving their own problems. I mean, it's, the way it it's works. data, land, and transport, right? Those three things underpin your ability to create your own employment, to create your own means of well-being, right? If people can get cheap, free public transport, if people can get cheap data, if people can get access to their land, you don't have to do much, right? South Africa is an extremely self-sufficient country. The fact that most of the people here are unemployed, but we're all not killing each other, well, not in large numbers, for the most part, tells us that people make a plan here. And it's about creating, you know, speaking to people and figuring out, okay, what are your immediate needs? And you'll find it's actually not that big. But if you have, like you were saying, a political elite that's interested in who did what and who started this process and who's behind it, rather than actually what is the issues, we're going to continue having this. And we're seeing young people particularly completely rejecting this, that actually our leaders don't care about us. So... They're not getting our votes. Paul, just to rope you back into the discussion here. <laughs> oh, okay. So Paul is just having a great time, just on his own. <laughs> but just to, just bring the numbers in. So now you you can go into a little bit more details. But I know we don't have the available numbers. And in fact, how much the youth did vote in these last elections? At least not yet. Maybe you not just yet. maybe you can just touch on that. But but are we expecting to see? the continuing trend of decreasing involvement or what do you what's your what's yeah, your, that's we don't we don't make predictions on this show no we do <laughs> no we do I'm, I'm 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 full i'm i'm completely puffed up because i called the anc and the eff pretty closely so from now on i'm going to be brave and reckless you're a pundit now no i'm a pundit but with the you know in contradistinction to the other pundits i actually got the numbers right hey we called 57 to 58 for the anc and we called 10 to 11 for the eff nice so that's not terrible yeah my educated guess scott is that the trend is going to continue in terms of voter turnout so you know we've talked on the show about the three gates first gate you have to be over 18 second gate you must be registered third gate you have to show up on the day and vote and we've known about the first two gates we've known the census numbers for a while now we talked about them we've known about the voter registration numbers since i think late april and we've talked about them but I think the trend's going to continue. I don't have the numbers, you know, they call me Rain Man, but I don't remember exactly what the 2014 numbers were. What were the turnout rates for registered voters by age cohort? But I suspect they'll be even worse for the 20 and 30 summings. And then the worry is that we start to see a real generational gap develop between the voters of 94 and 99 who lived through the time when the vote was won and it was won hard and it was won with a lot of pain and blood and a different generation that values it differently but also different circumstances as Pearl said but what I'm interested in Pearl um, you said you know you've done a lot of work through Youth Lab and you've managed to dissuade a lot of young people from voting (laughs) and you did a lot of and you did a lot of research um, I also wanted to touch on I'm glad you brought it up you started in mid-March to cover one political party national 48 because there were even more on the provincial level we don't have time to go into that but some weird ones I did it but yeah I was the only one who was interested but they're interesting parties very Khoisan Heritage and Zamantungwa something movement KZN (laughs) but we can leave that we'll see if they're still around in 2021 you covered one party a day 
on your Twitter uh, feed at Pearl Pillay. We'll give a plug. I really, enjoy, I really, <laughs> shout out. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a great education. Did you manage? So my question was: Did you manage to dissuade any more voters through that initiative, or did you have people come up to you and go, "Wow, I learned so much about Party X, or you've convinced me yeah. to vote for Party Y"? Are a there any interesting? Both. Oh, right. A bit of both. So I wasn't trying to dissuade people professionally, just no. personally. <laughs> for sure. Um, in and state. Um, so there were mixed reactions. So the one was actually there were an astounding number of people that said, "Oh my God." Is this what we have? These are our options. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing this. I'm just not doing this. Um, very, very large numbers of people who said, "I thought I was going to vote for." Because my argument around starting that thread was people kept saying, "Just vote for a small party, man. We must just dilute the ANC's power. Just vote for a small party." Uh-huh. And I was like, "But guys, small parties also have beliefs." And they'll also, you'll give them power. And so now you vote for a small party because you think their leader's handsome. Next thing, they're out here proposing that we criminalize abortion. What do you do? Um, and so that was my, my, my motive behind it, was to get people to see the smaller parties for what they stand for. And there were lots of people that said, oh my goodness, this is a crisis. I'm actually just not voting as well. But there were very large amounts of people that said, this has really helped me make an informed decision. Um, there were people sending me selfies of them at in the line to vote, reading the thread to try and help them make a last minute decision. Um, And lots of parties like Women Forward ended up getting, you know, at least a few votes from people on my timeline saying, I would never have checked out this party, but now that you've brought it here, this was actually really informative and I think I'll vote for them. So, but about... So just a related question in in closing, we're running out of time a little bit, but um, if you had to choose one party to suggest for the youth to vote for, what would it be? And there's context to that would be, we had a chat, I think we, uh, in a, a few episodes ago, we were talking about whether my money was going to keep his job or not. Right. Shit. And part and of, still don't know. Yeah, oh, we still don't know. He doesn't know either, to be fair. But uh, the, part of the context of the conversation was like, look, there's no party really speaking to the youth. And part of the, the, the conclusion of our conversation was essentially, I don't want to uh, 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 influence your answer, but like we, is effectively the EFF was yeah. the, was kind of the most exciting party for yeah. the youth. Um, I don't know, what, what are your views on that? I agree. I think, particularly looking at their election campaigns, the EFF has been so effective in mobilizing young people, in getting their message across to young people, um, in taking young people seriously, and I think they did it better than anybody else on that ballot. Um, and so I personally... I'm going to be paying lots more attention to them in the next five years because 44 seats is a big deal Mm. Um, and they have real power um, to put their money where their mouth is and so I'm very interested to see what they do. Um, Personally for me, I... I'll be honest, I was very interested in Women Forward. Um, A smaller party, but I'm... (laughs) As a woman, I'm just tired of men screwing things up in this country, and I was. We should give like, women a chance to screw things up. Also. Yeah, equal opportunities for us. Come on. And and not just window dressing representativity. Women in in real power with the decision exactly. to make as exactly. decisions as Equality. bad as all the men. We can before. screw up just as bad. Okay. I believe you can screw up better. But then again, I, I am a feminist. <laughs> um. So I think. I mean, I read through their stuff, and I think that they're very focused. I. For me, this election was also a single-issue election, right? 
it's hard to pick a party that stands for everything that you want because they're all so terrible. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you are a feminist, if you're sitting and thinking about things like gender equality and representation, I think Women Forward had the best messaging because they stuck they stuck to their issue. Um, and so that was easy for me. I think ADEC looked very promising, specifically around their manifesto. It was very comprehensive, very progressive as well. Um, but, you know, they didn't make it too far. Um, so I think in terms of the big parties, I think definitely the EFF is the one to watch. For all intents and purposes, numbers aside, they won this election. Mm, they had the biggest growth? Yep. Absolutely. Easily. Okay, guys, that's about all we have time for. Unfortunately, I think we're already at about half an hour, I think. Um, we had a lot of fun time today. Flies, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Pearl and Paul, thanks again for your for your time and joining us. Um, you've been listening to uh, The Numbers Don't Lie. I'm your host, Scott Peter Smith. Um, you can catch us on your favorite app, well, most of them anyway, and or just just check us out on Times Live. So that's today. Thanks. Cheers. You've been listening to Final Take, a multimedia live production from the Tissot Blackstock Group, publishers of the Sunday Times, Business Day, and Financial Mail.